Today, we're talking to Beck Holland, CEO and founder at Flip the Script. The big mystery with outbound prospecting to a lot of folks is you hear this, you know, I need to reach out to someone 12 to 15 times, and that number keeps going up. Every time I see the new research that comes out every year, there's always more touches that it requires to get a hold of someone. And that's that's a whole nother topic in and of itself that kind of scares me a little bit. But what I always wonder, I don't know about you, and this is what I hear a lot, is, okay, if I'm supposed to send you know, six to eight emails to someone and make four phone attempts and a couple touches on LinkedIn, what do I say after the first email? How could I possibly come up with something unique and different every time that I reach out to someone? What do the follow-ups look like? How do I not be a pest? Won't this make people angry? I mean, these are just all the things that I hear. And one of the people that I look up to, and this is who we're going to be interviewing today, Beck, uh, one of the people I look up to in this is you know, people like Beck that are out there actually you know, doing this with their teams and they have a ton of data, right? In terms of response rates and when people respond and how many touches and how much to personalize. And that's what we're going to get into today. But before we do that, if you're tuning in for the, to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this show is really to help any rep or sales leader that's leading people that are out there prospecting and doing sales development or outbound prospecting on a daily basis. Help the folks that love crushing their quota, but hate it when they spend a ton of time personalizing an email and no one responds to it, or they get asked a question or get an objection on a cold call and they don't know what to say and they freeze up. So if that's ever happened to you or that's something that you hate, you're definitely in the right place. So we're talking to Beck Holland today, one of the people I look up to in this industry, uh, like in terms of content, she's probably top three people that I want to know what she's talking about and what she's saying that's working because uh, it just works. <laughs> and she's got the data uh, to prove it. And one thing that I got to do with her recently was record her webinar together on the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. And what she is sort of infamous for is this flip the script uh, content that she put out. And it was this YouTube series. that was really awesome when she was working at Chorus AI. And one of the things she talked about a lot was personalization at scale. So definitely make sure to check that out, um, which there's a link here on the show notes if you're looking to, to check that out. But this is like part two, essentially, of that. So once you know what to say in that first email, how do you follow up? What are the sequencing best practices? How do we get 35 plus percent of people to actually respond to us? And how do we take things that we're learning, you know, sales techniques, how do we scale that? How do we take what maybe you've heard me share, or maybe you've heard Morgan Ingram or John Barrows or Beck Holland or Mark Hunter, insert any other sales, you know, trainer, consultant, coach type person, how do you take their techniques and scale it with your own stuff? She's going to talk about all those things. So make sure to uh, tune in here and then check out if you want the more visual part, because she did have slides make sure to check the replay out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. That's linked up in the show notes, so you should be able to open it up right on your phone here and take a listen to it. And lastly, before we dig in, uh, we do have, if you're listening to this in September, we do have a couple more weeks worth of uh, people coming on to the tour to talk about prospecting. So folks, just like Beck, it's free, it's live. I would definitely check it out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com along with all the replays. So we have 40 talks with 42 speakers so check that out, and let's get to the interview with Beck. And I'm super excited for the topic today because sequencing, I think, is the big mystery when it comes to prospecting. 
It's like, hey, what do you say after you send that first cold email? Right. Or how do you get phone and email like to work together? And then how do you optimize these sequences and what should they look like? And the reason why I invited uh, Beck on the tour is her flip the script content is something that uh, both my wife and I running our business have just studied religiously uh, to improve our outbound. And she's one of my go-to, I would say top three go-to resources when it comes to sales development, outbound prospecting and that sort of stuff. And she's currently the head of sales development at Chorus AI. So Beck, it's great to have you on. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited for today. I know you got a lot of stuff, but before we dig into the content, <laughs> this may be a longer winded answer than you want to give <laughs> right now, but what is the big challenge? Like, what do you feel like is like, why is it such a mystery when it comes to sequences? And what do you think are the challenges? Like when you work with you know, people on this stuff, like what's the big mystery and challenge when it comes to sequencing? Yeah. So that's a very, you're right. It's a very deep question, but I feel like, I mean, you saw in like sales culture, uh, let's put it that way, you know, back in the eighties, back in the nineties into the early two thousands, like you just saw people, um, you know, going door to door, right. Field yep. sales was like the thing. That's how I started selling is, you know, I graduated from A&M came out in 2008 and started uh, field selling. It's like, yeah, I'm going to show up at this person's door. Actually the term, for uh, quote, the term bag was because yeah. a sales physically used to take a bag of goods, you know, around from door to door and have to be responsible for selling those those goods. So that's actually where oh. it originated from is from salespeople used to go door to door, you know, then the internet came along. And then, you know, with the internet came automation and with automation, um, you know, came a, a bunch of sales engagement platforms. So people started selling over of like, how do I how do I do this over email? You know, then the question was, how do I speed this up? Yep. <laughs> you know, by using sales engagement. And so you saw an influx. Of people. This was probably back in, you know, 2012, where sales engagement was really getting um, its win with sales loft, groove, outreach, yes, where, et cetera. Um, and, and people started uh, sending a whole bunch of messages at once of like, oh, if I can get the, this amount of meetings with 150, emails, you know, what if I could send 4,000 or 8,000 yeah. and all these dynamic tags came in of like, I can insert their company name or first name or, you know, industry segment or title or whatever. Um, and so with a tool like sales engagement, I felt like it left, it left sales culture into a place where we've kind of lost our North star or mm -hmm. like, you know, what is our goal? you know, and then how can we achieve that? And so I've kind of challenged the programs that I've worked with of like, be monomaniacal about what your goal is and don't ever lose sight of that. Of like, your goal is to sell more, right? So if you send 800 emails or you send eight emails and you're selling more, like that is the North Star that you need to, um, to guide yourself by. And so um, I, I think TLDR to answer your question, I think that, uh, sequences are the most confusing because uh, you need someone, something, et cetera, to prove causation of what you can say to actually cause someone to take a meeting. And you've seen a couple of strides of that, of you know, recording yep. technologies. But I think that's the most confusing thing is uh, the things that really help conversion are the things that seem unscalable. And so yep. the question today and that I wanted to go into the content is like, how do you scale the things that work for your messaging 
and be constantly pushing that needle, you know, in, in terms of results. I love that. And I learned a new word too, monomaniacal. That's, that's a fun one. Um, so before you get to that, I just, just a quick comment on that's really the challenge. I think right now, like you said, I think you hit the hammer on the nail with there's people, a lot of people are bought into personalizing the approach and adding relevance, but it's like, how do we do this at scale? And you put, had a whole series come out on that. And this is kind of like a sequel, you know, to that almost in like, what does the sequencing portion look like? But, um, Hey, without further ado, I know you got a lot of content prepared for this. Um, yeah, go ahead. Let's get to it. I'm excited for this. Why don't I go ahead and share my screen, uh, or make sure I can share my screen. Can you guys, can everyone see? Yeah, go ahead and let us know in the chat. You guys give us a yes real quick if you can see Beck's screen here. Everyone could start with a yes. And if you could give me, everyone could jump in the chat and give me a one if you are in sales development, two if you're a sales development leader, three if you're an AE, four if you're an AE leader, five if you're sales enablement, and uh, six if you're sales ops. So I can have kind of the... Uh, look for a background. A lot of ones and threes, it looks like. Threes. So a lot of sales, uh, sales dev and, and AE. Um, cool. That's really helpful. So why don't I jump in here? So today um, I wanted to go into four different pieces. So, you know, like I mentioned, I know that Jason sent out the um, session on how to personalize at scale. So in that session, I dive really deep into what are all the different things that you can scale, uh, personalized premises that you can incorporate, and then how can you maintain consistency of messaging? So just a little bit of, of back point. Um, you know, I started this journey a couple of years ago. Um, whenever I realized, I asked myself two questions and uh, the questions were, you know, remain the same for me today. I remember laying on my apartment floor and I was at SDR and I was getting some pretty good results, but I wanted some amazing results. Um, and so I'll ask you those, those uh, same questions today. The first question that I asked myself is who in here, and if you could jump into the chat, who in here responds to unpersonalized messaging by taking a meeting with a vendor that you don't know? A lot of nopes. One yes. Yeah, one yes. <laughs> one ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> right, so mostly no's. Um, so now I'm going to ask you a second question that I asked myself. Who in here thinks that your prospect is different than you and your prospects are different than you in that regard? So a bunch of no's. So that was the hunch that I had was I thought, hey, I personally don't respond to unpersonalized messaging and uh, I don't think my prospects do either. And so the answer I know here is some level of personalization. So I have to figure out how to make a prototype and then how to scale that in terms of personalization. So today, you know, I wanted to jump into four different pieces. Uh, number one, I wanted to start with how you can find your buyer starting at a new company. I think that's a big struggle for people of like, how do I identify my buyer personas? I get a different story from marketing than I get from the sales rep that I get from the CSM. So if I'm new at an org, how do I identify my buyer persona and how I can speak to them in a compelling way? Number two, I wanted to go into the structure of a full comprehensive playbook 
of how can you maximize all of the leads coming to you and how can you maximize all of the outbound plays that you potentially could do incorporating personalization to drive the most results. Number three, I want to go into, and this might seem odd, but the third part I'm going to go into, how do you scale any sales technique? A lot of really good sales technique out there. You know, you have, namely, you have uh, Sandler, MJ Hoffman, you have uh, Spin, Medic, Challenger, you know, you have uh, John Barrows, bunch of different uh, people out there. A lot seem to be teaching different technique items. Some of them are incorporated with, you know, other different methodologies. So I want to enable everyone today to walk away from this session and be able to watch any sales trainer that you want and incorporate their methodology or their template into your sequences so that you yourself can beta test who is the best, whose advice should I follow, and what actually works for me within my business. So I want to enable people basically in step three to stop listening to me. <laughs> you know, of like, how do I walk away from a session? And if someone gives me a really good technique that I think will work, how do I it, like put that in my infrastructure within my sequences to see if it actually works? and then double down on it on it if it does. And then number four, I'm going to go very in-depth into, it, you know, and I hope that everyone watched the first session on how to personalize the scale. Mainly, I focus in the first email. In that session, I'm going to go into all of the follow-up emails for the entire breadth of the sequence in step number four. So I'm going to give you the personal, my personal sequences that we're following over here at Chorus. So if you haven't listened to a lot of sales training, if you don't have a lot of methodology, you know, within you or you, um, you know, don't know really where to start, you can use my infrastructure, you know, kind of as a default as you uh, work out your tenure in sales. So first, let's start with finding my finding your buyer. Um, five steps to finding a buyer. And this is just the personal infrastructure of how I find my buyer whenever I come into any company. So most people will enter into an organization and some of the onboarding sessions, they'll be um, usually told by the marketing team. You know, they'll say like, hey, here's our buyer persona sheet and here's our competitive sheets. And here are five buyer personas. Like for instance, over at Chorus, we sell into uh, sales ops, sales enablement, sales leaders, rev leaders, and sales development leaders. And so you'll get this kind of sheet from marketing uh, and it's all good intent. Like they're trying to do their best to give you some kind of uh, war deck or talk track, et cetera, you know, of how you should speak to someone within that buyer persona to make them want a meeting. Um, could be just my experience, but I want to get a little bit grittier than that. So the first thing that I do with any company is when I enter into the organization, uh, especially for SMB and mid-market, if you're working with that kind of uh, organization, I immediately go to the case studies, you know, on the website and understand from a high level, you know, who bought my product and why did they buy my product? What did they buy my product for? And how, uh, what were the different goals within that buyer persona? I then, you're going to think I'm insane, but I call those people in the case study. I ask the rep, I'm like, hey, you sold into, you know, Jason. Jason, uh, are, you, are you okay if I reach out to Jason? And I reach out to Jason and say, hey, I'm that annoying onboarding rep. And this is very ad hoc, but I call them and I ask them for 30 minutes of their time because this could, again, just be my experience. But usually there's a different story off yeah. Than there is on record. Yeah. Well, you're going to ask different questions too than the person building the case study probably asked them. 
Absolutely. And so they're thinking through from a marketing perspective, you know, what would be good for SEO, what yep. would be lead generation, et cetera. And I want to personally go find out the details. You know, typically when I see people post on LinkedIn, some of the people that I know, I'll call them and be like, did you really do this thing? And they're like, not actually, really the story is X, Y, and Z, but the public facing story was different. And so the first thing I want to understand is what was the real skinny behind why someone bought my product and how happy are they? What did they initially buy it for? And how are they using it today is the first thing that I want to understand. And the reason I start with case studies, is this is someone who is obviously pleased enough with your product that they're willing you know, to go on record for you. So they'll probably take a call. Uh, the second thing that I do is I interview customers. So I go to, I would start with uh, anyone who's above a certain NPS score and I, again, would usually, it's a good way to multi-thread within your organization and kind of get some uh, buy-in or relationship with like CSMs or AEs and say like, hey, you know, I noticed you sold these five marquee accounts. Uh, do you like, do you mind that I reach out to them? And I would interview the customers who weren't in the case studies. So like case studies are usually good for one thing in specific but I want to know an aggregate, why are people buying my product? And so again, I would make sure that your customers are happy, you know, and cl double click it with your, your CSM to make sure that they're okay for you to reach out. But I would reach out to those customers and the um, economic buyer and the decision maker and try to understand if they're willing to give me the time, why they bought the product and uh, what they run into in their day to day. Third step I would do is I would actually uh, go to whatever buyer persona you sell into, like sales leaders is our biggest buyer persona over at Chorus. I would go in the industry to five of that actual role and I would ask them to give me an hour to talk about their day-to-day -day and what they actually care about. I would not pitch them on my product. I would not under you know try to be doing it to pull anything. I would simply be curious on that line of like, what do you run into in your day-to-day and what do you care about? And I would start my mind crafting through like, okay, this is what they care about. These are the problems they have. These are the things they run into and the things that they want and start brainstorming in my mind, how does our product fit into that, alleviate a pain or you know, highlight a pleasure for my prospect um, so I can help start graphing out like typically I'm going to, these are the five things that I'm going to probably hit on within a demo with someone. You will always want to run discovery, but you want to come in with a good top, you know, five points of things that uh, I think will help them in their day to day. So I would start by going to five people within that role, asking them to give you an hour and then just going deep on everything that they care about. And in my experience, I mean, I once went to LinkedIn, you can call, uh, you can actually go to my account and uh, see it if you don't believe me, it was about a year ago. I was selling into CIOs and I'm like, hey, I'm not a CIO. I need to know what a CIO does. Anyone uh, want to help me? And the CIO from uh, Dell reaches out randomly and says like, hey, yeah, I'll take a meeting. And I was like, wait, seriously? Like, that's how this works? Jump on the phone with them for two hours and marches through everything that he cares about in his day to day. And again, I would be smart enough not to pitch your product, like really go in there to understand and seek to understand. Um, but in my experience, people, especially if they're at that decision maker level, they want to help people and they want to mentor and they want to give some level of advice. So I think you just need to be diligent enough to, to find them and go after them.
the fourth thing that I would do is I would go to the buyer persona that you sell into internally. So I would go to, you know, for instance, a sales leader at Chorus and say like, hey, you know, what do you go uh, run into in your day to day? And how does Chorus solve for the things that you really care about? So you can really understand, you know, from a high level and a detailed view, both, you know, what does, what value does your actually, your internal buyer persona, you know, care about? So I have the luxury of selling into uh, luxury and pain of selling into sales leaders you know, so I have um, found it really relieving that I am typically, I am selling into a buyer persona that I understand because I'm selling into SDR leaders. And so I, by and large, know, you know, know what they care about in their day to day. So I'd be very, very focused on like axiomatically, what do they care about and what is running through their mind? And then the last thing that I would do, uh, sorry, last two things is I would go to my salespeople then and say like, hey, how are you selling? you know, who are you selling to and what pain points uh, and talk tracks are resonating. And then I would lastly go to marketing. Then I would go to marketing and say, hey, what's your understanding of our buyer personas? What do you think that they care about? So, I mean, there's two or three types of thinking. There is deductive, inductive, and abductive. Deductive means you start with a theory and you confirm it. Inductive is um, where the gold mine is to me of like, how do I find out what actually cares, uh, someone cares about? And then reinvent the wheel of saying like, you know, personalization at scale is a great example of that, of like, I want to find out what works and find a way to scale it as opposed to coming up with a theory and then confirming it or just confirming it. So I'd start with the source and work my way up. So that was a long wind. (laughs) That's how I'd find my buyer. And I would start with that. You really need to understand who your buyer is and what they run into and what they care about before you start thinking about your product. So I would spend, you know, quite a bit of time on the front end if I were onboarding or if you haven't done it, you know, within your own organization, you know, you need to be able to not be full of crap, you know, so to speak and be able to eloquently speak, you know, about what they care about because you can read them, you know, you know, you know what they're running into. Um, Now let's get into playbook. So playbook, um, I really started from a place of um, there's three types of leads um, from my perspective. There's inbound, which is demo request uh, and chat box. There's outbound, which is completely cold. The person doesn't know who I am. And then there's a lot of categories in between. So I have nicknamed these internally as postbound. So postbound to me is anyone who is not a true hand raiser. They don't necessarily want my product yet, but they have had some kind of interaction with Chorus. So great examples of those. I have divided postbound leads, if you will, into two different buckets internally. On the left, you'll see the postbound, uh, a bucket of postbound premises that I would mention for context to my buyer. And then on the right, you're going to see a bucket of postbound premises that I would not mention to my buyer. So on the left, you know, for example, you know, we've got content downloads or event attendees or webinar registrants, let's say to a webinar like this, um, or executive churn, you know, like they have bought chorus at one org and moved on to a second org um, that's within ICP that we haven't sold into. So it's, it's pretty easy to guess that they would hopefully value, you know, what Chorus does and we can sell into them again. Um, you've got a, a list over here, but firmer graphic triggers like hypergrowth, uh, you know, maybe they have a common VC in common with you. 
uh, demoed in the past or LinkedIn engagement. And then uh, on the right-hand side, you have a list of buckets of premises that I would not mention. I would not mention this is the reason for your outreach, but I would, be, I would know that this probably makes them more buyer ready. So a great example of that is number two, company funding. You know, Chorus just raised uh, $45 million. And I've been getting hammered with emails of people basically prospecting into me saying like, hey, you have a whole lot of money. You know, <laughs> you want to buy my shit because I sell money. <laughs> that one's been overdone quite a bit in the last five to 10 years, I would say. They're like, congrats on your funding. You want to buy my <laughs> shit? And I'm like, wait, who are you? And it's bizarre. Like I've seen it, recruiters and just, I mean, yeah. I'm inundated. I am just flooded with messages from random people just value propping me over and over. So, you know, yes, I probably am more buyer ready. Now I've got a lot of cash, right? So we're probably yeah. going to be doing tech stack or hiring people or et cetera. But, you know, just like anything, you don't want to walk up to someone, you know, and just say like, hey, you know, I just heard that you walked into an inheritance. Do you want to hang out? Because I think you could buy me some really cool jewelry. Like, you know. Yeah. Or you're newly single and you put your status on Facebook or something and someone's like, hey, I saw that you're single. You know, it's like, uh, okay, you know, all right. Um, Christina asked a question actually is, do referrals fit into here somewhere? If someone says, hey, I have this person that you should maybe reach out to, or is that more of like a cold outbound at that point or a mix of the two? Yeah. So, I mean, there's true postbound and then there's um, plays, if you will. Plays are, you know, they are, um, they're, they're more interesting to you because of a certain aspect. So referral oh, okay. is a great example of that. And I, I didn't put referral on here, but I use it quite a bit. That I would mention the premise. Okay. I rely on it. In no case scenario do I think you should rely on this premise for the breadth of your messaging. This is just to build a sequence off of, and then you personalize from there. So yeah. we'll go on how you do that, but that's a great question. You know, I would put referrals over in bucket one of like, you want to mention that someone sent, sent their way, yeah, you their way. Um, however, I would still make it about them. There's nothing worse than an email where they're like, hey, blank said you should take a meeting with me. And you're like, Ugh all right, like, you know, if the person's my boss or I want to win points with them, I will take the meeting. But from mm -hmm. square one, you want to always make it about the person who's who you're speaking with. So these are all of the different scenarios that I build these sequences off of um, within outreach for my reps. And um, TLDR, I won't go too deep into it, but I am ranking every single month based on conversion ratios of who, uh, what sequences you know, are causing the most people to take meetings with me, the uh, best meetings with me in terms of company size and best com in terms of uh, company type or uh, person's title. And then what is the result from those meetings? Like, are we winning more close one business off of, you know, event attendees or webinar registrants, but content downloads, you know, um, we actually have the most meetings from and what's important to me. So I am being very, I'm very, very focused on what are the results from these sequences. So I'm ranking for my reps, all of these sequences in number order. Um, and basically they just come in, uh, into outreach in the morning or whatever sales engagement tool you're using, you do, do it with sales off too. 
and they are basically going to sequence one. And then if they have a task due, they're writing it mm-hmm. or falling. And then they go to task two and three and four and five and six. And I'm re-ranking these sequences, you know, and shuffling the order based on where I'm seeing the most, uh, where they're seeing the most conversion for them. So I tell them, I'm like, don't get, don't get married to, you should call on content downloads first, just get married to the idea that you need to count. So I will just change the numbers for them at the beginning of every month, you know, so that they have the highest likelihood of booking a meeting with whatever person they're talking to based on data. But this is the comprehensive book Apart from cold outbound, we have one sequence that's just cold outbound, meaning there has been no trigger at all. Um, but this is the comprehensive book for everything except for cold outbound. Um, and you have like over a dozen of these playbooks, essentially, are sequences for every scenario. And that's kind of the point behind this is that you're creating very specialized messaging for every yeah. type of scenario so that you have something that you can measure and refine and improve and optimize and that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was listening to salespeople and everything that they care about. And then I'm listening to marketing and everything that they care about. And I'm mm-hmm. combining all of those, uh, you know, premises to say like, hey, so we have a sequence, it's a content download sequence. You know, we have a sequence, it's the event attendee sequence and a sequence is the webinar registrant sequence. And most of these sequences, I'm going to go into the structure in a second, but most of them are identical in terms of what action that they're taking and when it's just being the premise and messaging a little bit and it's helping me measure it. So we have, you know, uh, we have 13 sequences um, in here and I'm starting to flush out a few more, but these are the ones that we have. um, We have uh, played out here at chorus. You have email opens, website views, et cetera. um, You know, dark funnel G2, six cents, Bombora, you know, our different dark funnel providers that basically if you're researching on G2, you know, then we can tell from an account level and then we automate to where we kick in, you know, someone, you know, usually it's on the account level, not the contact level. So it'll say someone from Drift is researching you uh, in Boston. And so within our CRM, basically you need a very great ops person for this level of detail. Um, Shout out to John Sweet, our ops person. But basically if someone from Drift researches Chorus, then anyone who's in the CRM from Drift that is within a title that we want to sell into kicks into the G2 buyer uh, buyer intent sequence automatically um, for the reps to call on. So they're just going from sequence to sequence based on data and what I've seen over the last month. And they're just going, is there anyone in sequence one that has a task due? Is there anyone in sequence two has a task due, et cetera, et cetera, down to sequence 15 in their day-to-day. So I'm taking off of these reps um, for the leaders in the room, most of the list cleaning, most of the who and what account, most of, you know, et cetera, and basically having them spend all of their calories on what is that personalized premise and how do I hook that into my, my value prop so I can marry structure, structure and creativity, uh, both. Um, the structure of every single sequence that we run over here at Chorus is 16 steps over 21 days. And uh, it is uh, comprised of 10 cold calls, five emails, and one step where they uh, do LinkedIn research. This step at the beginning, they are coming in and they are basically going to the person's LinkedIn profile and they are hunting three different personalized premises that they can tie back to Chorus. That's the rule for us of like whatever premise you're going to pick, 
you need to be able in your mind to relate that to chorus of know what angle you're going to go. So if I'm going to pick grilling, for instance, like, Hey, Jason, reason my outreach is I notice you're uh, grilling aficionado. You know, when it comes to grilling, it's all about highlighting the best flavors. What if you could highlight the best flavors of your sales conversations, you know, and drive more quota attainment as a result, like, you know, that's cheesy, but you get the gist of yeah. like, I'm letting them think through, can I relate any of this stuff to what Chorus does? Um, and that's kind of the precursor for them picking out a premise. And this is the personalization at scale stuff goes into this more in depth. And I'm going to just throw this in you guys to the chat again here in a second when I find it, but that's where you'll get like the, really the deep dive into that stuff. And it's great. It's like two hours just full of like, like the most in-depth shit you've ever seen when it comes to like personalization and then how to connect it and like all that other stuff. So I'll throw that into the chat because I think there's some people here, it looks like that may not have watched that, gotten a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're watching the recording, you know, whenever this is replayed, I would stop what you're doing right now. Uh, for those of you who are live, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> right now you're going to have to watch through this, but um, that's a really good place to start. But basically I am, uh, and I'm going to touch on it today. But I'm teasing at having them tease out, you know, the, uh, the great thing about the first step when they go to someone's LinkedIn profile, I mean, everyone who's who has been in the industry for any period of time, whether that be 15 minutes or 15 years, knows that data is rough. Yep. Contacts, emails being accurate, you know, them working at that company being accurate, their title being accurate, their phone number being accurate. It's like... That is 70% of the, ba the battle is how do I find a person that is at an account that could buy us, that would be a good buyer for me, that's in the right role, what's their contact data and, you know, what's their mm -hmm. email and what's their phone number is 70% of it. So, you know, I'm having my rep send out personalized messaging. So the first step I want them to do, you know, other than teasing out these three personalized premises is they're going to this person's profile and they're using LinkedIn to understand like maybe this person left the company, you know, maybe this person isn't the actual role that our CRM data says. Um, so it's a, it's a good way for them to trim out some of these people who aren't actually buyers right at the beginning. Um, so they're only focusing on people that, that could buy our product. So step one, again, they're going to the LinkedIn profile, making sure that they still work for the company, that they are the right buyer persona and then they're teasing out three personalized premises. They're storing them in outreach, you know, for that will fuel the rest of the sequence. But um, in terms of the actual structure of the sequence, and you'll see what days I'm having them do which step here. Um, you know, we can send the deck out afterwards for anyone who wants to build this in. But essentially, the theory behind it is I actually base it off of uh, MJ Hoffman's uh, studies, the author of Why You, Why You Now. He basically did a pretty in-depth study on uh, what cadence of actions you should do and when. Um, and keep in mind, he's kind of pre-social media. I hope he's not listening to this, but he's he built his <laughs> social media. You know, so it was more landlines and heavy cold call. But basically, yeah. he his research proved is that um, the later, five minutes before the hour and after the hour, uh, later throughout the day and later throughout the week are going to be your best cold calling time. So um, in my experience and my personal belief is Monday morning, there's not a shot in hell that you are going to get a hold of me. <laughs> like internal fires, coffee in my stomach, I got to get stuff done. 
Friday afternoon at 3.30 or 3.45, I'm kind of looking for that one thing to stay busy, but not open up a huge project. And so that's a great time, you know, where you're more likely to get a hold of me, uh, certainly over the phone, I would say email and phone both, but he, he understood two things that you should uh, call later in the day, later throughout the week. So he has his reps take Monday off and start Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from three until 9 PM because he calls on West coast and he's based in Boston. Um, so not 8.55 PM, his reps are calling on a Friday uh, because wow. of the conversion ratios. And I'm like, it makes sense. Um, it, it makes sense that when you like to sell, send emails is when everyone else likes to too. So you need to flip it and basically bump the chance that you are one of two emails as opposed to one of 10 um, that that person is receiving. But he also uh, did a lot of analysis on um, how aggressive you should be in the sequence. And what he found is um, that basically if you are more aggressive in the beginning and then you start petering off near the end of the sequence, that you are teaching your prospect that if you if they just wait long enough, you will eventually go away. Um, so he flipped it on its head, um, and I, I followed you know his research and in, in doing that, and it actually I saw some great results near the end of the sequence. Of I'm easier in the beginning in terms of time, and then I'm more aggressive in the back end. So they get to know me, they know that I know them. I'm hitting them with some personalized premises. I'm warming them up, you know. And you'll see. I want you to think of this sequence in five different pods. First pod is cold email, cold call, cold call on day one, one, two. That these are business days. You know, then day eight, eight, nine. I, I wait a seven day delta here or a six day delta, you know. Then day eight, eight, nine, I go into cold email, cold call, cold call. Then I wait four days, cold email, cold call, cold call. And then here near the end of the sequence, you're going cold email, cold call, cold call, you know, cold email. Uh, cold call, cold call, cold call, cold call, cold email, you know, near the end. So in my experience, this is where you're going to see a lot of results. This first step, you know, if like, especially if you're personalized, I'm going to see a lot of conversion. And then right in here, because they're like, holy shit, if I don't pick up the phone, <laughs> like this person is not going to go away. And so, you know, if you're loaded with a personalized premise, you're not going to make them mad. You know, I haven't seen it happen. If you are unpersonalized and you are just blanket pitching, they're going to get pissed. But if you have this one article that they wrote where you saw this line, you know, and you saw them on a podcast and based on that research, you're going to value hook into something that you think could help them speed up, you know, eliminate, add to blah, blah, blah their day. You know, in my experience, if you're aggressive matched with you are relevant and personalized people don't get upset with the level of aggression where they start to get mad is if you're mass blasting and then you're super aggressive on that end. So, you know, um, if nothing else, I feel like, you know, they, they kind of respect that you did that level of granular research because no one else is doing it on the market. Um, so anywho, that is the structure um, of every sequence that we do. I'll briefly touch on this for a couple minutes because I want to make sure we're, we're on time here, but um, go to that personalization at scale session, but the, the premise buckets of personalize, what I'm personalizing based on, I lump into five buckets. Again, I'm going to make you guys watch the session, but there's basically five bu buckets of personalized premises uh, that you can personalize on at the contact level. 
So I'm not going to talk about Jason's company or industry segment or role. I'm going to talk about Jason. So any first bucket is self-authored content, anything Jason wrote, webinars, articles, or posts that he did on LinkedIn. Bucket two is engaged content, you know, but so anything he liked, shared, or commented on, but he didn't author himself. Um, These are uh, ranked in terms of conversion. So bucket one, you're going to get the most responses to, you know, three, four, and five. Um, And if I had to guess, for instance, why bucket two, you get less responses is you're not giving them the ego stroke of validating their work. Yep. After this session, I'm going to walk around in this apartment and I'm going to wonder one thing. I want you guys to jump in the chat and tell me what your guess is on what that one thing is. There you go. Braden got it. Oh, I did. What's for lunch? <laughs> Robson said. Thank you. I really got it. I'm going to wonder whether you liked me and I'm going to wonder whether you found value from this content and whether it was worth your time. And so whenever you jump into bucket one and you start talking about their work, it's almost stronger than complimenting them directly. You know, it's instead of saying, um, you know, you're obsessed with someone, you're saying I'm obsessed with something you did, which is almost even stronger, um, you know, just less creepy and it's stronger, um, you know, uh, psychologically for them. So bucket one is self-authored content. Two is anything that they engage with on LinkedIn, but didn't author themselves. Bucket three is self-attributed traits, profile line, headline, company line, anything that they wrote about themselves. Um, Four is going to be junk drawer, schools attended, personal interests, hobbies, careful. This Remember that whatever you pick, you have to relate back to your product. So if you pick someone's school, I don't know what the rules are, but you have to find a way to relate that back to your product. So um, anywho, in junk drawer, in my experience, certain personas really like this. Marketing, HR, some sales leaders, sales development leaders really like this. Uh, you know, some personas don't. Uh, back-end engineers, CIOs, yeah. finances, you know, iffy. So it's dependent on your buyer persona. But, and then the last one, if I can't find anything for personalized premise is company level, M&A, post, blogs, hiring, website language. But you have to tease out some kind of detail. You need to make sure that the prospect knows that you, you know who they are. So saying, I noticed your company is growing and I noticed your company grew 73% and just hired a new VP of sales. One, someone doesn't know if you're a mass blast or personalized. One, is po- one, they're positive of it. So if you do all of that work to personalize to someone, you need to make it apparent to them. I would, a less, less generic, the better, you know, because a lot of people are trying to send out cadences and sequences that make it look like they're personalized when they're not. So I'd spit some kind of detail to make them understand very quickly at a glance that you know exactly who they are because you know something that they've done in specific that, that it it couldn't be a mass blast cadence is what I'm looking to achieve. Um, How you can build those buckets in again, these buckets in and all the personalized premises. And I'm going to showcase outreach here today, but full disclosure, you can do it with any sales engagement provider, uh, Zant, sales loft, et cetera. And outreach, basically if you hit custom tags, you have 35 by default, you can expand it to 50. Uh, but I basically have ironed in all of these different personalized premises for my reps 
so that basically they can, you know, when they go to the LinkedIn profile, they pull out three premises, they can throw them in these custom tags and they can hit save because the one thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to save their time. <laughs> yeah. So this will automatically populate because some people may not be using sales engagement tools in which you could probably create these fields in your CRM as well. Right. But the idea here is it looks like it automatically will throw that link in. So when you go right in the email, you don't have to spend another five minutes searching for stuff. It's just right there is the, is the premise behind this. Yes. Bingo. And number two is people don't pick up on the first dial. Yeah. They pick up on dial 800, you know? So it's like, I didn't want the reps to have to research every single time that they're dialing someone. Uh, number one. And number two, one of the biggest things I was running into when I first started doing this was I had my reps putting it into a sheet and then someone would pick up and they'd be like, Oh shit, where's that sheet? <laughs> like, they're like shuffling back and forth between all yep. the tabs on their computer because they didn't expect someone to pick up. And so I wanted to make it a really clean user flow, you know, that when that person picks up, you can, you can spit this personalized data within the first 20 seconds of the call so that they don't hang up on you. So this really personalization um, at the base of it, it prevents people hanging up on us because we are giving them some detail about themselves and asking them a question right off the bat. I go deeper into the cold call track, you know, within personalization at scale. But um, yeah, if you throw it into one of these custom fields, you hit save. And then every single time that I call, I did my friend Scott Barker for this one. Of he did a post on seeing is believing and I put a little excerpt in here. And then every single time, you know, that I call Scott, whenever he finally does pick up, I don't have to shuffle anywhere. I can just, you know, put this, uh, say this premise very, very quickly. How I pair these together is basically, you know, like we, like I mentioned up here for the buckets, you have two kinds of buckets, premises that you, or scenarios that, uh, sequences you could build based on a premise and sequences where I would still create the sequence, uh, but I wouldn't mention the premise. Uh, if you have a postbound premise, let's say they downloaded content, you know, they're in that sequence, then I would, I would mention the postbound premise of like, Hey, Jason, reason for my outreach is I noticed you attended this webinar, uh, with the, uh, think outside the script tour. I say, but more importantly, and then I say something about them, but more importantly, I saw you wrote this article on LinkedIn where you're talking about scaling effective teams. Yeah. I think this is a really common thing because there's some people that call inbound you know, content downloads. So people that have downloaded an ebook or signed up for a webinar, and that's not a true inbound lead because this person didn't say, I want a demo. So you're not only just referencing, because someone asked this question, I get asked this a lot too. You're not just saying, I saw you sign up for a webinar. You also got to do a little bit more digging than that to find out an actual reason why a conversation makes sense right now. Right. The fact that they signed up for the webinar just makes it a little bit warmer than doing a completely cold outreach. 3000%. Any true rep knows that inbound is not, it's not the same. Demo request and content download is not the same because if they mm -hmm. wanted a demo, when they downloaded your content, there was a demo request button. So they didn't, they didn't request a demo for a reason, you know, that reason, some kind of objection. A lot of times, sometimes yep. it's a false objection. Sometimes it's not but there is some kind of reason there. So you have to do almost the same exact work as an outbound deal. It's just a little bit warmer. So I always, in every context, you want to make it about your buyer. 
your buyer, your buyer, your buyer, your buyer, your buyer. So, you know, I don't want to hear about chorus, you know, like, it's like that I downloaded your content, you know, people don't care that they attended the webinar event attendee. I mean, people after they got after this, if you emailed them and said like, Hey, do you want a demo of chorus? No one would respond to that. Right. So it's like, you want to couch it uh, with dynamic tags. We'll go in how to do that. But um, you want to couch it with the dynamic tags, say, but more importantly, and then make it about them. More importantly, I don't want to talk about chorus and our content and our webinars. We're the hero there. Yeah. You know? I want to talk about you and all the stuff that you've done, said, engaged with, et cetera, because this chat to be an effective one needs to be about them. Um, so for the majority of our sequences uh, where we're mentioning this, uh, it's going to be a po- uh, postbound premise with transition with, but more importantly, and then a summary of something they've done. If it's a cold outbound sequence, um, it's going to be a personalized summary. And then I push them to uh, put an excerpt in there. So I say, Hey, Jason, reason for my outreach is, you know, I saw you wrote this article on LinkedIn. We're talking about scaling effective teams. One thing that stood out to me is where you said, it all comes down to quality conversations. Um, so in either case scenario, you want to have two pieces, either the postbound premise and then a summary or a summary and then an excerpt if you if it isn't a postbound uh, sequence. So that's the sequencing work on what sequences you want to build. I mean, in review here, the 13 that we're running over at Chorus, five that you don't mention, that uh, the premises are all personalized. And uh, these eight where you're giving the postbound premise with the dynamic tag to couch it, transitioning, but more importantly, and then making it about them. Um, I want to briefly touch on uh, how you can scale any sales technique, and then I'll go into the follow-up emails. Uh, scaling any sales technique is actually not that tough. All you need to do is this. <laughs> I'll let you read it later. I'm not going to spend too much time here because I want to get into the follow-up email so you guys have a structure as a takeaway. But basically, when I'm listening to any trainer, all I do is I think when they say like, oh, you should do this. Here's the email that you should send. And it's all about deposits or it's all about whatever. (laughs) I'm like, okay, dude, like how does this actually fit into a strategy? I'm like, whenever I see any trainer training on any ad hoc item that that they're training on, I'm like, this might work, but if this isn't within a sequence and if it's not scaled, I loved when Manny, uh, CEO of Outreach, he said that um, on the Flip the Script tour. He said, if you can't scale it, it means nothing. And I'm like, Manny, you could not be more correct. (laughs) You could not be more correct. So you're going to learn a lot of different techniques from a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions on LinkedIn. And I'm not, I'm certainly not here to say who's more valid and et cetera. What I'm here to say is anytime that someone tells you a sales technique, I like, let's say they give you an example of an email. I think through the following steps, I break down the number of sentences in that email. I understand with each sentence as sentence, what is being accomplished in the root of it. Like, is it an intro? You know, are they saying the reason for your outreach, like jump arrows or, you know, are they doing some kind of deposit or et cetera? Like what is being accomplished in that sentence? I think about um, what is being accomplished. uh, Sorry. What is being accomplished overall in the email? What's being accomplished in each sentence. And then I break that down and I self label the technique. So I'm like, okay, what they're doing here is a great example is their pattern interrupting. 
Yeah. They're pattern interrupting by saying something different that hasn't been said before. So a great example of that is the rule of three of like, Hey, Jason, did you, uh, did you drop by our booth because you wanted to learn more about chorus? You wanted to learn more about sales conversations or because you wanted the sweet swag that we were giving away for free and you wanted me not to bother you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like business reason, business reason, and then funny reason that makes the prospect like you more. (laughs) I would take a screenshot. I took a screenshot of this. This is really good for anyone that consumes a lot of content on this stuff. If you've run it through these questions, I guess these sort of checklists of things, it's going to help you actually understand why it works so that you can make it your own. And that's the hardest part consuming content, especially on prospecting is like, how do I apply this to my situation? And without actually hiring someone like Beck to come into your company and do that for you, usually we got to do it ourselves, right? This is awesome. Three, three thousand percent. And I also, I wonder a lot, you know, I look at a lot of content and you always wonder, people just want the best thing, right? The best hook, the best subjection handling line, the best thing. And so I usually, I want to understand for me and for my business, which technique works the best. And so I basically run through this checklist. I think through the number of sentences in the email I think through what's being accomplished uh, overall for the email, like what's the goal of it? Are they asking for a demo? Is it, you know, just a response email? Is it a nurture email? What's being accomplished in every line? Can I break that down and label the technique that they're doing? Can I write in step five is I write in an example for reference for my reps of like, hey, you need to do a pattern interrupt here. Here's an example of one that you can do. But you know, feel free to do some kind of pattern interrupt. It's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you you need a Subway sandwich, but you need some kind of sandwich. So whether you go to whatever, Blimpies or Quiznos or whatever, it's like you need to be doing that in this moment and you need to be interrupting the buyer-seller dance, the toxic buyer-seller dance and making them see you as different. Um, Here's an example of that, but go ahead and this is what needs to be accomplished with the thing. So a lot of... um, I think the strongest leader is someone who is okay with being replaceable. Of yep. like, hey, you know, here's what needs to be accomplished, and this is the base of it. But you go, you go, show me how you you can make this at your own, and you can do it. So I write an example for reference within the sequence. I train on multiple examples. You know, I beta test out responses and the types of responses I'm getting and the outcome of those responses. I adjust accordingly to that data. And then the last step for me is the most important or one of the most important is I leverage all the people that I hire. I'm like, hey, I need a new hook. Who can come up with a new good hook? It needs to have two pieces and it needs to achieve this. And then I kick it out to my team and they have fueled most of the content that I'm doing is fueled by people coming up with awesome ideas and then me figuring out what's the base technique and then the ones that work leveraging it across the rest of the team to do it. So our team is an organism that is constantly learning from one another. So we're learning very, very quickly. Someone has a good hook. We deploy it to the rest of the team. And then we're like, okay, so what was effective about this thing? And then how can I, how can I do it in several different ways? So great example of that is in the hook line and the value prop line, I came up with the middle structure of like, you know, what if you could X, Y, and Z? 
And then we got to the point where we're like, imagine if you could X, Y, and Z. And then I have an idea on how you could X, Y, and Z, all three accomplishing the same thing, different words, but same, same goals. So this is a great, it's a uh, dense slide cerebrally, but it's a great way to understand if I'm listening to all of these people in the market and the stuff that I like, I'm going to put these following steps into place, figure out what works, you know, and then breathe off of, off of that t technique that's uh, being deployed. Um, so that's, that's it in terms of uh, sales technique. Uh, I'm going to, I'm probably going to go after the hour, full disclosure. Why don't I do 15 minutes on um, follow-up emails past the first email, if that's okay, Jason, you know, um, for anyone who wants uh, to stay on the line. Yeah, I want to share a couple things in case someone has to hop off. I'm going to link to this YouTube link that I just threw in as the entire Flip the Script content. You guys, like, there's just master classes and everything about objection handling and personalization. I've already shared the personalization one a bunch. And then also, I want to drop in Beck's LinkedIn. Make sure to connect with her and say hi after this if you got to jump. But we're going to go over extra. The, the replay is going to be available later. It's going to get posted tonight. So I would definitely, you know, check, check it out. But uh, she was kind enough to spend some extra time with us here. So I want to just want to make sure if people got to jump off back that they have a way to check out your stuff. That's, that's Proceed. <laughs> okay. Typical me, I'm too long-winded. I need to go on a... On a I do the same thing. <laughs> um, as, far, as far as the follow-up emails, um, again, in that session, it will, I, will, I go into further depth of how to write the first email but I wanted to give, I, I mean, I don't know if you've caught, you caught it, but in this sequence, you know, there are five emails in total that I am writing. Um, uh, one on day one, day eight, day 13. Um, and then uh, two more, we have a breakup email and then day 18. So I wanted to go into what the actual technique is behind those follow-up emails. So um, let's start with the first email and I'll try to sum all this up in 15 minutes. The first email, you know, and I go into it more in this session, so I'm going to make you guys watch that. But the first email, I basically am in my first line. It's my longest line. I am picking out a personalized premise, and I am giving them a summary and then some kind of excerpt. So it says, reason for my outreach is, you know, I saw you wrote this article, um, you know, on scaling effective teams. One line that stood out to me is it all comes down to uh, good conversations. The second line, medium length, is the value prop where I hook my value prop into the personalization, and I do that in three different parts. The first part of the line is where I am tying three words from the end of the first line into the beginning of this line. The second part to a hook is I'm navigating my way back to buyer persona. And then the third part of the hook is I'm saying, and blank as a result. And I put the one thing they care about. So, you know, in that example, I would say, what if you could, you said, uh, it all comes down to great conversations. What if you could ensure your reps, you know, over at Okta are having great conversations, like you mentioned, building more rapport with your buyer and uh, exceeding more quota as a result. So you just want to state the one thing that they care about in the middle of that hook. And I, there are three different ways that I'm doing that. Imagine if, what if, and I have an idea on how you could X. So that value prop is going to be the medium length. And basically the goal of that line. And this is where good and great reps are made. 
meaning how well you can hook the personalization to what's relevant to them and talk about what they actually care about in a fluid and brief way is where you're going to get the majority of your buyers. This is the hardest line. So this is where I want my reps, you know, spending most of their calories is how do I sum this up? How do I structure this in a way to where it, it makes sense to this person? You've seen a lot of 10-80-10 in the industry. They're saying, you know, hey, Jason, I know, whatever. Hi, Beck, I noticed you went to Tech m We at Drift help convert more website views into close one mm-hmm. business. And I'm like, there's no tie here. Um, so this is where, in my experience, uh, where buyers are hungry to see you prove personalization in and of itself means nothing. <laughs> or very little. It's different, but it means very little. You know, you need to, um, or at least in my experience, you need to, uh, like, this is the most important line of, you know, I, I'm not full of crap. I teased out that quote because it actually means something to me. It was the perfect timing because it hooks in here. So that's where I'm going um, in the second line, value prop. Third line, it's my shortest line. I'm going into CTA uh, or a call to action. We're requesting one time um, you know, to unpack how VPs of sales leverage chorus to drive more quota attainment. And I usually give them a barter. And if you're not impressed, and I, I promise I won't hammer you with follow-up if you're not impressed. And then the last line, I do what's called the push-pull technique. So basically, I, I give them a reprieve. You know, I say either way, you know, I want to give them the reprieve of whether they have a meeting with me or not, whether they buy from me or not, whether they give me what, what I want or not. Either way, they need to keep the good stuff coming. I'm a fan, you know, thanks for the article, you know, and this is a good place to intertwine uh, COVID language, if you will. You know, either way, I hope you're staying safe during everything that's going on in the world. So I've seen a lot of people lead with COVID and be like, hope that you're safe, hope that you're, you know, you and your family are okay during this time. Number one, it causes uh, pattern recognition in their head and they're like, delete. Number two, it comes off as insincere in my experience. And they're like, you don't know my kids. So stop talking about them. And number three, don't talk about people's kids. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) And number three, in my experience, it's like, if you're not careful, they think that you're monetizing a pandemic. That was a good one. So we didn't quite get the whole audio portion Um, in there because it cut off on Zoom, actually, now that I'm listening to it. So we definitely have the full version in the webinar. So make sure to check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com for the replay. It's also linked up in the show notes there. So if you got your phone open, it's linked up right there. You should see a link to catch the the full talk. But yeah, my apologies. I wasn't expecting for the audio to be cut off. Sometimes I have some issues with Zoom and recording the audio bits of it, especially So make sure to check that out. I think you'll really dig the rest of the talks on the tour as well. Uh, My biggest takeaway from this is how to scale any sales technique. I thought that was really cool because I consume a lot of sales content, but getting it in a way that's actually being implemented either by myself or by our clients is a bit of a challenge sometimes. So thinking about the specific parts that you can scale will really help make sure that the time you're spending and investing in consuming content is actually paying off and putting more appointments on your calendar or closing more sales. So thanks for tuning in. Again, check out tour.blissfulprospecting.com and we'll talk to you soon. See ya.